Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Each week, your hosts bring you news, views, and abuse from America's professional rugby union, as well as the latest on the USA national rugby team. Now, with all that said, let's get on with the show. And we're live. Uh, welcome to Earful of Dirt. I'm your host, Aaron Castro. You can find me at the Strobro on Twitter. I am joined by um, on the ground extraordinaire photographer uh, Josh Fredland, who I guess will now have to forward deploy um, for MLR games this next season because the Raptors no longer exist. Um, and then also my our our New York based correspondent and finance extraordinaire. Uh, Craig Gridelli, you can find him at American RFC on Twitter, and he will be bringing back his uh, his, I guess, critically acclaimed, I'm gonna call it that, uh, column that he was writing for the Runner Sports uh, Monday morning fly half. I think he said he's gonna grace the earful of dirt pages um, in the off season every. Um, every couple of, uh, of weeks right now. And maybe he'll compete with Josh for uh, spread time uh, on the, uh, you know, um, on the page when we get into game recaps and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh stay you know, tomorrow for the first, the, just the debut, uh, Monday fly hold, it hold it down for the content stuff. So, um, you know, we haven't been, back live in a couple months, partially because, um, you know, as much as we love to talk major league rugby, there hasn't been too much going on. If you focus on, I mean, I think, um, there have been other shows that come back. I, I think we've all just in a sense been busy. I've been able to knock out some line out stuff. That's really cool. Um, we did something with, uh, Dave Clancy, head coach of UCLA. And then also with, um, I think there was a third one somewhere, but also, uh, last week, um, I nerded out with uh, Ian Gibbons, uh, uh, head strength and conditioning performance coach now for San Diego. So if you like, I guess, human performance coaching, which is what they call SNC these days, uh, check that out. Uh, we didn't even get into like rep schemes. So it's a very philosophical based discussion about what you do for the various like different points he was at in his career. But, uh, yeah, so um, it's been very hot here in Arizona um, to the point where I do not go outside uh, at all. Uh, and I think it will not get under 100 degrees until I am not here for at least a weekend. And that I will actually be in Denver um, for my sister-in-law's baby shower. <laughs> Josh? <laughs> uh near josh yeah but i think i'm only gonna be on the ground like 48 hours so it's gonna be hard to like hang out josh um, you waiting at the airport we'll say you need you'll say you need a ride i think i interestingly um they live off like i think like two blocks away from a train station so if i had to take the train i could just take the train and then walk to their house but but we'll be all right. Um, so uh, hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully there's not a blizzard in the middle of October uh, in in Denver. Don't don't hold your hopes. It could be. Uh, you know, 
it's a bad way to it's a bad way to think. Get, get rid of that evil stuff. Um, as far as like uh, what brings us back, as far as the show is concerned, I'm going to share this out on Twitter, everyone. So give me two seconds. Um, you know, you got to put those links for distribution to keep people all good. And uh, but we're going to talk about the Major League Rugby season, at more or less the window that we're going to have uh, very shortly. Uh, it, interestingly, I, I, there were there had been some rumor of some dates way back about a month ago when I heard that this decision was sort of on deck. Um, and uh, it's not the date that many people had heard. It's not the date that I had heard. And uh, I think that, you know, p- part of that is because some other things have occurred. Um, so, we're going to talk a little bit about the Hawaii thing. I think Craig and I and, and Josh have sort of talked about it offline. Um, USA Rugby wants to have uh, the um, the Rugby World Cup here. Uh, so do we. But there are some interesting things and there's some difficulties there. Uh, and we're going to talk about some MLR academies. And then there was a funny legal thing when it came to a tournament that was held a few weeks ago in uh, – I think it was Pueblo, Colorado. I, for, I forget exactly where. I think it was a place called Peachtown. Let's look. Peachtown, Scrum Down. Where was that? Um, Very Colorado-centric opening tonight. Yeah. I, I, it, it's interesting. Palisade, Colorado. Interesting. And, and the reason why it's called the Peachtown Scrum Down is a Peach Bowl Park. So we'll talk a little bit about that um, and, you know, and then try to get out of your hair pretty fast. Uh, But so, guys, um, without further ado, uh, Major League Rugby is going to have a 2021 season. I think we're all happy about that because then if be otherwise, we would have needed to find another hobby because I'm pretty sure if without a 2021 season it is more than likely that the owners would not have sought to stay. Um, in the game, you know, because it's just, if you, when you have limited revenue streams, uh, and you're a live entertainment business, you can't really, you can cut, like they cut the season last year, which was great. They paid all the players, but if you just don't have a whole season, uh, and I, and other people are playing, which they are playing in Europe and they are playing in the Southern hemisphere, then you kind of lose, you're going to lose players. And you may even lose your American players, or they just may go do something else. So it would be it would be very disruptive to a burgeoning competition that is trying to gain a foothold outside of the niche complex that American rugby sits in. Yeah. Well, it, I, yeah, I, I exciting obviously the schedule announcements. Exciting to see any announcements these days. Uh, you know, I, I at least I wasn't that worried. I mean, I. I think at least I always expected there to be a 2021 season, but I didn't necessarily expect the time frame that they settled on, which is March to August, essentially, um, which I, I think is an interesting time frame. I think it solves one major problem, but it also creates, I wouldn't call it a major problem, but it definitely creates a issue to watch. Um, you know, the problem being solved, of course, is the weather situation in the Northeast, these last couple of years, Toronto, New York, Boston, the Northeast teams have been plagued with February matches um, in potentially very bad weather conditions, which you hey, know, is when probably- you when you guys played in Vegas, you could have played in New York in better weather. Let's just let's just yeah. 
Yeah, that was a that was a, a lucky weekend. But the year before, I was freezing. You know, New York's first year, I was freezing for most of the season in New York. Uh, you know, two two seasons ago. So um, this is starting later alleviates some of that concern, both for the players playing and also just for fans. You know, in the expectation that fans would come to the the game live when you're a young league trying to bring in fans and fill seats. You know, you don't want to be competing with really bad weather. Um, but then the downside is the the reason they moved the schedule so early in the first place was so that the season would be done by the summer international window. Because um, it was – it's common in, in European rugby, but it's not usual for American sports that the star players of the team leave for a portion in the middle of the season to go play with the international team. I think they were trying to avoid that, but now with the later season, that again is on the table. I when I first saw that schedule, yeah, that was more my first thought too, Craig. I think I think somebody brought it up. We might go soccer and just not play for like two or three weeks and then come back and finish the season. Yeah, I think that's a good solution. It's like a it's like a, an all star break or a holiday for the window. But I guess the question is, what for these teams that don't own their own field? You know, what field arrangements do they have? How long? of a season can they have? I mean, if you figure three weekends of international play at least, plus a week of training before that, I mean, you're talking a whole month off, really, um, if you were to do that. So could they? Could the season go an extra month on the back end before it runs into minor league baseball or whatever else is the, yeah, these teams are sharing fields with? I, I looked at it, and I think I, I understand the concern, but based on the fact that USA Rugby in Canada hadn't – published any scheduled matches, my my guess is without those being set in stone, without knowing anything's going on for there, then it's really hard to make decisions when you're trying to run a competition. And I know there's been some like back and forth offline be like about as far as consultation is concerned, but the reality is is that without MLR, neither Rugby Canada or USA Rugby would have professional players. So it's kind of like, you know, just thank MLR, for, in a sense, thank MLR for employing players, but also at the same time, you know, that the league, if you look at the way the schedule ends, it has been very, it is very cognizant of, you know, what happens in August, and that's the ARC, without knowing um, any matches having been scheduled, there uh, officially there aren't any for next July, and I understand it's a very long time away right now, but uh, it that you just, when you run a competition, you have to, when you're a private competition, because it is a private competition, you know your left and right limits and you make a decision. And and it seems that, well, instead of taking a pause for July and sort of finishing in August, um, well, you would also run into um, the ARC and the ARC assembly uh, in, in general. And I think, you know, I had this discussion with Brian Ray a little bit ago and I think, um, you know, it was interesting. We had this discussion. I was like, I'm just, this, in a sense, I'm assuming that, you know, we just aren't going to have July internationals because of just the way things are. We don't know what borders are going to be like next spring and next summer. That I, I think they're going to be pretty open, but as far as like where people travel and for what um, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. Um, it, that is so it's 11 months away. <laughs> You know, like I, I've, we have no idea in a, in a sense, but at the same time, if, if USA rugby and rugby Canada don't have published match schedules, um, 
a decent amount of time out, then then the league is in a sense at has to make decisions based on you know what it has. And there's 13 teams and 13 ownership groups that want to have a season in a specific time frame. And it is gonna the only reason it's moved, I guess, completely to um you know, the right, and they're just having it, period. They're going to have all 16 games. They're going to have a – the playoff is abbreviated, though, if you guys noticed. It's not – it's one less game, um, and which I found interesting. Uh, the interest – the – the I guess the different weighted conferences is going to be an interesting thing to deal with. But, I mean, baseball did that for years, especially with the AL West. Um, so figuring that out is going to be okay in a sense. But – you know, uh, I was, in a sense, surprised it was as late as it was, but I think it was very – I remember speaking to Jessamyn McIntyre last week, and I think she uh, talked about it on the MLR Kickoff podcast that, you know, pushing it so far to the right um, gives the league a very high chance of, you know, executing their entire season because you get to learn every single thing that the NFL, the MLB – and the NHL and the NBA did because it's so, because, you know, although the Stanley cup is going on right now and the NBA finals are going on right now uh, in about uh, interestingly in about four weeks training camp for the NHL and the NBA starts. So, and as of right now, there is no plan for a bubble for the NHL or the NBA for the 2020, 2021 seasons. There is in fact zero bubbles for any um, profession, major professional sports league in America. Um, and for the 2020, 2021 season, cause we've seen sort of seen how bubbles work and we sort of seen that bubbles aren't necessary either. You just have to have a lot of protocols in place at your facilities and your players have to be professional. And there's just no way those guys would agree to that. You, all the complaints that have come out, coaches complaining they can't see their families, and players like I've, I think it was Paul George came out and said it was affecting his mental health. There's like there's no way that was going to happen. It, you, you didn't hint at something interesting, Aaron, or uh, at least I think it's interesting is yeah you know, the uneven conferences. Uh, yes, yeah, so there, there's 13 teams, a, a seven team Western Conference and a 16 Eastern Conference. Uh, baseball did have uneven conferences, but it's never had an uneven number of teams. So, I mean, that, that well, means that baseball has had an uneven number of teams. Like, it, no, it, it, it was, it was four teams in the AL uh, Central and six in the NL Central. No, I mean, I mean, in general, baseball has had an uneven number of teams in the entire league. Not in recent history. I mean, uh, maybe like 40 years ago or something, but not, not since the 90s at least. Um, well, but hey, here's a recent example: hockey. They have 31 teams at the moment. Yeah. So, every, but with rugby, when there's like week based play and an uneven number of teams, that means every week, including week one, whatever, at least one team has a bye. Like you can't. Every team can't play in any given week. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting scheduling. I mean, in, in modern expansion, MLB isn't looking to add only one team at a time, but it has. In the past, and it's not been uh, 40 years, Craig. It was if you go back, you can look at the 90s when the Marlins got their when the Marlins got awarded their franchise, and then the uh, 
and then the, the Diamondbacks were awarded their franchise. There were uneven numbers of teams in both in the league. And then you also had more teams in the National League before they reset the, the National League and put the um, put the Astros into um, the AL West. So, uh, But at the same time, baseball had had a 162-game season for like 50 years. So it was just figure out how to play 162 games. But I, I, I think what you basically see is um, a home and away in conference um, for both, for both conferences and the, where the scheduling gets kind of weird is, um, you know, playing an extra in conference game for the East. But at the end of the day, it's, I don't think it's that difficult um, so, to, to finagle. Like, just, just to you know, go back here and, and fact check this. So the, the year the Marlins joined 93, the Rockies also joined. The year okay. the Diamondbacks joined in 88 and 98, rather, Tampa Bay also joined. I'm looking at every expansion back to 1961. There's never been one team or never an odd number of teams, always an even number added. Why? Then I wonder, then that makes, that makes no sense in a general sense, um, not to dig deep on sports business of baseball, but I that makes it makes no sense that they've done that when they forced the national, basically forced the national league to have more teams for a long yeah. time. Right? Like, yeah. they really play, the national league, the national league, American league is somewhat of an arbitrary distinction, but if you actually have an uneven number of teams, especially, I mean, baseball, you play so many games, it doesn't matter if there's a team off yeah. every day, but it, when there's a 16 game season at MLR and every, that means every week someone has a buy and we don't know how the conference the weighting of the schedule be to determine the conference winners. And I guess what I'm ultimately driving at here is, will we have a surprise seventh team in the East by the time no. 2021? It's already done. You won't. No chance. Just like the, I mean, there is no chance. Um, why? For a variety of reasons. Now we'll get into, I mean, there are rumors or not rumors um, as f- like with this, Martin Pinkelly got an exclusive with the commissioner Um that um, in his article, he talked about expansion and um, it confirmed that there was a Midwestern team in their exclusive negotiating period. And um, I know that um, Taft Rugby, which is a program out of Chicago, has asked us, you know, how close is the Chicago bid? And I think the Chicago bid in general is much closer to being a reality, just who's involved and what they're actually doing and the logistics of a team in Chicago versus a team in Hawaii than, than Hawaii ever was. I mean, the reality was, I think we, we all listened to Cam Kilgore's speech um, on the rugby rent or podcast. And then Tracy Atiga's stuff that she did with foreign media. Um, and, you know, in a sense it sounded good, but the, at the end of the day, it was like, do you have $25 million? Yeah. It was just too, too cost prohibitive to be realistic. And but even whether, I mean, Chicago would be great and they seem to make perfect sense. But over the years, we've heard about Kansas City and Ohio and lots of teams that aren't officially in MOR. Obviously, I don't have any knowledge. If, if, you, really look at, if you really look at this, because um, if you go back to every single team that has joined um, MOR, they've basically really had, other than the first other than the first, the inaugural seven, they basically had a year to 18 months lead up time 
um, to being to playing their first game, and that makes a lot more sense. Uh, but as yeah, far as like everything I've heard about the Chicago bid, and is like they have no intent to play in twenty twenty one. They're they're playing back. That yeah, they they like their their intention is to play in twenty twenty two. Um, and that's it. I mean, like if they can get, and that's the limited knowledge I have, like I had heard that, that they were a thing. And then I saw that in the article, but as far as, you know, like, just like, there were some interesting things. I mean, I guess we're bleeding into the Hawaii thing. It's like, there were some really interesting things when you talk to teams about like when it came out that, uh, you know, they were, they weren't being accepted for membership. And part of that was like player stuff. And it was, you know, it's not good. Like the reality is I remember talking to somebody who's like, if you are in exclusive negotiate, you're in your negotiation period with the league, you're only supposed to be negotiating with the league, with the, with the league for membership. That's it. You are not supposed to be signing players. And that's what I was hearing is that they attempted to sign players that team like actual teams were in negotiations with, which then created like some bidding wars, which they weren't allowed to do. So that created some problems. Right. And then at the end of the day, um, they didn't have their money in their account. They didn't have their deliverables turned in to be evaluated. Um, and therefore, um, there, I, there wasn't even a vote as far as I, well, whoa, whoa, I won't say that there wasn't even a vote. I don't know if there was a vote. I just know that they didn't turn in their stuff. So there may have been a unanimous vote once they didn't turn the, turn in their stuff that says we're not accepting them. That's what, I mean, that's, I, I was to say the vote is not accept or give them an extension. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's sort of what happened. And you saw like the, the, the commissioner, I mean, he had like his short statement was very open ended. He said, like the, the league said, "Hey, continue to develop your business plan and come back." Um, it wasn't a never, but where it got crazy was their statement, right? Like they issued a crazy statement, which was part of a mate a bigger email that they had sent to the board. And from what I was told, it's like that email was only part of what they had sent. <laughs> like that's it's like uh, it was a very much "you can't fire me, I quit" type email. But, um, but as far as like Chicago's concerned, I think it's I think it's much closer to being a reality. Um, it hits a needed market inside the Midwest, um, but there being. I mean, there, there have been other teams that have been quiet. Um, if we look at Atlanta, they were pretty quiet about when the, their accession to the league. Um, New England was pretty quiet about their accession to the league. There was, like, rumors of both, but until they got accepted, they didn't make a lot of noise. Yeah, so, LA was in and out. I feel like Dallas was pretty quiet. I mean, they, they've all – a lot of them well, have been well, pretty quiet. Well, da- Dallas was a member from season one. They just – you know, didn't play had, for three years. They had to get a lot of ducks in a row, which now with I mean, a lot of jackals in a row. You know, a lot of ja- a lot of jackals <laughs> in a row. And now, if you look at what they're doing, man, I mean, 
they're they look professional. Like they're 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 adding players, they're adding off field staff. I mean, it, it looks and they're doing um, marketing stuff. They're doing social media engagement. They're they're doing really well um, for an expansion team. I think for an expansion team, they are like they have observed all the marketing stuff and they are running away with it. Whereas LA has been very, very silent. But I mean, people are like, what about LA? <laughs> I can tell you that LA is signing players. Like they have players to release their name in a press release. Yeah, I like how the Jackals decided to be the only Texan team to go with a actual concrete reality as their mascot, you know, a Jackal, or as you have a made-up drink in a, you know, a Roni and then a made-up animal yeah. and a saber cat or an extinct animal. Right? Um, well, I, I, th- I think a big part of that marketing stuff was, wasn't Donnie Nelson like the VP of marketing for um, – No, he's the – president of basketball operations for, for the Dallas uh, Mavericks. And then he owns like um, a bunch of other minor league teams and how you succeed in like independent baseball. And I think uh, JT Onyet, who has done, um, who's been on the MLR kickoff podcast twice last year. And then in August really tells you a lot about like what they have to do in both minor league baseball and indie baseball um, to develop a brand and engage fans. And I think they're the next, I think it's the next tell sports group is ownership group of the Jackals, which um, Donnie Nelson is a principal in um, that uh, they've got a lot of institutional knowledge about the Dallas area and about um, in a sense, niche sports is because they don't just own baseball teams. They own, um, you know, some other sports teams. And in fact, they also own the, uh, the um, the G League team. It's no longer the NBA NBA D League. The G League, the NBA G League. Um, they're on the, they're on the G League team. So, uh, you know, they, they really understand the marketing and trying to get fans engaged from niche sports. And at the end of the day, like I think they've been very engaging. Um, but uh, I just think, like, at the end of the day. Could you feel the 14th team in logistically? I think just putting a team together is probably the easiest thing right now. Um, it is all of the other stuff that is very, very difficult when it comes to infrastructure, uh, per, like systems, staff, sales. Um, whereas in a year or two, like having development seasons and – uh, exhibition seasons is just not going to work um, because the the gap between club and sort of, you know, I would say club sides, you would play your development season against um, like just is so big. Um, speaking, of, speaking of infrastructure and the new season, not to cut you off, but I noticed, or at least I think I noticed in the press release when they touched on television they mentioned CBS. They mentioned Fox Sports and local affiliates. I did not see ESPN Plus mentioned. ESPN Plus is, is on there. I think ESPN Plus will be used, though. How much of a share that they push towards Lanier is going to be interesting because we saw a massive increase with Lanier when we got um, Fox Sports 1 and Fox Sports 2 as partners, right? So um, 
I don't I mean I don't know. I think ESPN Plus is interesting. Like it's it's a plug and play sort of thing. Like we have an ad share, like the league has an ad share with them, just like it has an ad share with with Fox or CBS or local partners. But at this time the league is still paying for production, right? So um it's a platform that allows you to reach people that are paying subscribers to something. Um, and there, you know, obviously have been suggestions to the league to just, I mean, they're like, Hey, if you're going to pay for the production just put them on your own platform, not necessarily subscription either, but like just put it on your YouTube channel. I don't know. Um, well, so we're expecting then 2021 to be in line with, you know, the shortened 2020 season in terms of a mix, CBS, ESPN Plus, Fox Sports. Yeah, that is the the current glide path that I think um, the CBS deal, um, I don't, I thought, always thought it was a three-year deal. So I guess maybe there was an extension added as far as for, because it's a distribution deal, right? Not really dug into all of that because I'm just going by based on public knowledge, right? Um, in, in a general sense, but um, ESPN Plus is probably the easiest one to get into because you just give them a link that pulls in your feed from a satellite and it goes to the distribution platform and where the difference is like your linear distribution with CBS Sports Network and and Fox Sports 2 and stuff. So, um, But again, Fox Sports 2 was and Fox Sports 1 were also new partners for last year, so maybe all of these deals have year-end options that are rolling. Um, I don't know. Well, if, if I remember correctly, didn't the season two championship game draw, like, what was it, 780? It was like, I think there was the, the final number was like 580, um, which was a really good number. <laughs> like, like it was So it was the second highest ever U.S. Um, Based U.S. like U.S. based ratings. So the other big one was USA versus the All Blacks in 2014. Um, so like that's I mean that's how good that number was. Mm-hmm. Um, so and again it'll be on the CBS mothership in 2021. So that's really good. Um, and interestingly, August 1st is a really dead day. In, uh, so, they planned, so they planned it perfectly. <laughs> in a normal sports year, August 1st is a really dead day for content. So it's actually going to work out very well, I think. Um, so we sort of talked about Hawaii. We talked about broadcast. We talked about MLR schedule release. Um, so USA Rugby is working with some of the MLR owners to do a feasibility study for the 2031 Rugby World Cup. Um, I would love to have a rugby world cup here, but in a general sense, I'm like USA rugby just went through a bankruptcy and is in a five year supervised repayment period. Um, so can we just focus on blocking and tackling? But obviously I think, I think if there is, if the feasibility study comes through, you're going to have, obviously MLR teams are going to want to be invested in, in that to sort of like carry the standard um, for for the country, um, and you're probably going to need some other partners to get this done. Um, the biggest thing for me when it comes to hosting a rugby World Cup is when, because I think hosting it in the winter in in the fall just doesn't work. Um, like, I mean, people like someone's going to make money 
if it's in the fall, but it ain't gonna be, it ain't gonna be us. If well, it's so, if it's in the summer, I think everyone makes money. I depend. It depend. I know some of the biggest stadiums are in the south. It was I? I think it's just gonna be too hot. I think it needs to be like a spring World Cup. I I, I think spring is an interesting idea. Um, I think like ten years from now, you can adjust your schedules, right? Like you can literally plan out like when you want this to be, whether it's a August, July to August World Cup or June to July World Cup. But in a lot of, although some of the biggest stadiums are in the South, guess what? It's also in the South when it comes to some of these stadiums where they're going to put, want to put some games. Don't. I mean, like if you like, uh, was it not Reliance Stadium? What is that? What is it called now? Oh, N- NRG. NRG, AT&T. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Um, you've got a lot of uh, here in Phoenix. I don't know if we're going to get games, but you have the State Farm Stadium. So you have indoor climate-controlled facilities in the, in the southern air, southern parts of the United States. And then obviously you're going to need to have some games outside. Um, and you have sort of an MLS spots. But I, I'm just thinking, I don't think the fall works um, for a logistical stadium. Why do you say we don't make money in the fall? I mean, I know football's on, but I mean, isn't most not of just, the World Cup come from international? You know, not just it's not just you run into football. That is your problem, Craig. Is that you run into football? But as I've expounded upon a million times to like every foreigner, it's like football isn't just a a Sunday thing. Football is a, football is a, the only two days that there is not major broadcasted football in this country are Tuesday and Wednesday. And then you run into MLS, MLS, are you saying there's, oh, oh, Maction. Maction. Maction on Wednesday. So really, you've got Tuesdays, right? And then you also run into the fall. Another issue is the MLS season. Yeah, you know, but okay. You run in, like, you run in, so get just wait, and then you run into baseball. So, like when it comes to stadium usage and facilities, the best way you're going to be able to do this is when you're not running up against every single person that owns a venue, and that's going to be in the summer. And I understand like me- selling tickets is not going to be a problem, but sponsorships would be a problem during that window because all of the allocated sponsorships for a home world cup are all sold. Like all of the companies that would buy sponsorship during that period, all have sponsorship money tied up into baseball, into soccer, into um, the beginning of the NBA. Um, You know, like there's so many things in the way in the fall, in the summer. Yeah. got, baseball and soccer someone a little bit of soccer you know um i mean yeah. i mean it, it, it definitely could work in the summer you just you'd have to plan it out especially in this in the hot states i remember back in the pro days at denver denver was playing san diego here it was 106 oh i mean yeah I, it's like in denver like like anything i mean but but here but here's the thing like even in like september if it was a September October World Cup, you're still running into heat like everywhere except New England and Seattle. You know? Um and so I I think the if you're if you want a perfect weather, 
for a World Cup. It's like in the winter, you know. But but then you look at what happened in Japan. I mean, you had a you had a typhoon. Um, it was humid everywhere. It was in the southern part of the country. It was not only humid, but it was also hot. Um, so I, I don't think weather is that big of a deal. But you won't be able to play games in the middle of the day. In like we we played. I remember what was it in Houston. I was there for the Scotland game. I want to say kickoff was actually uh, the kickoff temperature was lower than it was in Denver for the kickoff temperature versus Russia. But there was like it was it was ninety percent humidity. It was humid, like like it was humid, you know. So I, I just think there there are a lot of hurdles in place for a fall World Cup here. Uh, one of them is only only one of them is a venue availability. Like you could have, I, I seriously think, if you really you know forced the nail through the the drywall on this one. You could probably have a World Cup here, but you wouldn't know there was a World Cup here. Well, I, I guess if you were going to do it in the fall, you would have to somewhat form a partnership with the NFL to promote it. That's the only way you it would happen. Yeah, you, you look at – I mean, so if you look at the Olympics, right, um, when you get the Olympics, like um, usually that sports uh, commission will get a blackout for marketing – so, like, all the billboards for, like, a 20-mile radius, um, the the Olympic – the NOC, usually, the National Olympic Committee, gets, like, 50% shares. So, like, they have to pay for that, but they get to advertise and their partners get to advertise um, inside that radius. They're the, they get to buy all of that um, inventory. And whereas for this, so for the world cup, you, you want to like do really good marketing, but the problem with that is like all the people that do marketing during that period of time, they're going to fight tooth and nail. And it's not just one city that you would have to deal with. In this case, you'd have to deal with probably six um, hubs in in a general sense. You're probably going to do like, um, I would say two West coast hubs, two central hubs, and then two East coast hubs. Um, roughly, because I, I think you would want to. It, it would need. It makes sense to have a 2014 World Cup by then. I don't know. Just. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there's there's two elements of marketing. One is the the drive to use the World Cup to increase American rugby appreciation, which is huge, obviously, and that I think is problematic in the fall because of football, and it would have to be something carefully. Um, carefully worked with, with in conjunction with football, as Josh said. But there's also, a, I mean, I don't think the World Cups make money now without American fans, regardless of what country they're in. I mean, I think you'd make lots, the World Cup makes lots of marketing dollars from international sources that wouldn't care about the football season. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure how World Rugby views that. I'd be, I'd be curious to see if they're willing to move off the fall time slot, especially into a summer. And that means the summer, you know, that takes away then the summer series that makes revenue for a lot of these teams. So um, it's probably better for the U S to be in the summer, but I'm, I'm not, I'm I'm a little skeptical, I guess that world rugby would permit that sort of schedule change. I mean that they've, it was the, the world cup window other than the last three hasn't been the same. The last three have been like, 
if you if you look at the world, well, I mean, the last four, the last five have been fall, but previously it alternated. Like the first World Cup was in the Northern Hemisphere summer. The second World Cup was in um, the Northern Hemisphere fall. And then the third World Cup was in the Northern Hemisphere summer again because everyone has a different calendar because of weather. And then it always falls since then. But then the window in the fall hasn't – like has only been the same for the last two. Yeah, it drifts a bit. Yeah, it's so, so, I mean, But, I mean – they want to come here to make a lot of money. And I think to with the amount of money they want – the amount of money World Rugby wants to make, it's better to do things when you – do it when you have less competition. I think ticket-wise, I don't think you're going to necessarily have a problem selling tickets because if you look at rugby playing nations and the amount of tourism that comes from exactly. rugby playing nations – to the United States on a yearly basis, uh, there will be plenty of foreign ticket buyers. Not worried about it. Not, not, not a single. Not, not worried about the ticket portion. Really, it's the broadcast portion and the sponsorship portion and the venue availability portion that I have questions about. But in addition to that, USA Rugby um, is like trying to get out of its bankruptcy you know that's sort of that's sort of my question you know my concern um yeah that's my concern too i hope i hope i would love to be a world cup i mean teddy my son teddy will be 12 in 2031 and the idea of taking him to a, a world cup in america is the most awesome thing i can think of but uh i mean that's the the dreamer in me but the realist says you know let's just not take on a world cup that we're not prepared to handle and have it just be another financial disaster. Yeah. We have to be a little more responsible with our, our yeah, national. I, I, that's like, you know, my biggest concern, like is USA rugby equipped to actually do this? And right now I would say most people would say no. Yeah. And they got to, they got to negotiate terms with world rugby for their hosting that are going to enable us to make money off the, the situation, not just where yeah. rugby takes all the profits. Like um, rugby World Cup 7s. Hmm. Right. Hmm. Um, and, all right, well, all right. Let's just say, in a perfect world, where would you put the final? I mean, me, personally, I would, I mean... Arizona. No. <laughs> I, I look at some of these things, like someone said, you know, you want to have an Ireland game at South Bend, right? Like, so you want, you want to, someone, another person said you want to have a game at the big house. I don't know if the big house is wide enough, to be honest, that you'd have to run. Jerry but World. I think Jerry World would definitely be uh, in the, in the, in the thing. Um, so I think, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the historical person, the nostalgia person that I have, that I am says that you want to look at cultural homes of American sport. And you, I would. Fix. No. <laughs> Canton, Ohio. Let's go. Canton, Ohio. Um, but I would love to see a world cup final in the Rose Bowl, to be honest. 
Um, I, I think you run into, I think Dan Brown, one of our friends has said, you know, I think you, maybe there's not enough sweets, but if you look at the sweets in at the Rose bowl, there's more sweets at the Rose bowl than have ever been sold for rugby world cup final. So I don't think that's a problem. However, they're probably going to be um, frothing at the mouth at SoFi or whatever else is brand new in what, like whatever other NFL team builds in the next 10 years for, for their Gloria, um, NFL stadium, but like right now, I guess probably SoFi is the crown jewel of the league. So either if you're looking at stadiums that already exist, it's probably Jerry World or, or SoFi um, for a Rugby World Cup final. Dallas also a huge international airport, which I'm sure helps yeah. as the finals location. Yeah. So. Chicago at least has to be on the list to host based on. I, I think, I mean, you look at yeah. Chicago and, and they're, they would well, be in, in the summer. Chicago, I think it would be a great choice. You start to go into like November and Chicago becomes pretty <laughs> nasty. Hey, uh, dude, we were there in November and it was delicious. It was nasty. Actually, it wasn't that bad that November, but I, I lived there for years and it was bad often in November. Um, I think if you look at it, Chicago is probably where you put the whatever pool Ireland's in because you have that huge Irish capacity in, in, in Chicago. And then you look at, they have like a Gaelic center in Chicago and you have um, currently you have, yeah, Fido's, you know, (laughs) Craig and I uh, spent a good amount of time at Fido's after that. Uh, the last <laughs> they should just do the World Cup uh, in March so that coincides with St. Patrick's Day and all the <laughs> with huge St. Patrick's Day parties like Chicago, Boston, New York, yeah. Savannah. What, what else has huge St. Patrick's Day? Is um, those would be the hubs. Deadwood, South Dakota has a huge. It's called I. Well, I probably shouldn't say what's called. I, but look it up. Been- <laughs> we should just build a pop-up stadium in front of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I want it to be at a time where we can, where it gets imprinted in the American conscious. And I don't think you could imprint the sport on the American consciousness um, in the middle of, um, football, and I don't just mean the NFL, I mean college football, I mean high school football, I just mean the cultural sort of grasp that football has on the United States. But, yeah, and then the baseball playoffs. And the, like, do you think a rugby World Cup final would rate higher than if a World Series game if it went head to head? No, of course not. Well, 2031. I guess who knows, but today, I don't but, know. but yeah, even though, I mean, I agree with that, Aaron, um, but I feel like it's, that is even a bigger question than scheduling. Like it could be in the summer. It still is not going to print itself on the hearts and minds of Americans. If the team's not more competitive and you know, the, the games are more accessible, you know, I not just stadiums, but on TV and you know, people, there's been some culture build between now and then, I think that's going to be required too for a successful 2031 yeah. campaign in that sense. 
I would agree. There's, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work to be done first, right? Um, I someone else said, a friend, I guess of the show, but friend of mine, Pete Steinberg said, you know, competitively, um, if the U.S. does not make it out of pool play, or if if the knockout stages are longer than you know quarterfinals, but if the U.S. does not make it to the quarterfinals, then it won't have as much of a cultural impact as it would if the U S made it to the quarterfinals. Yeah, of course. Um, No one wants to support a winner. No one wants to get excited to see a team get pummeled into oblivion. Yeah. And then, um, so I guess sort of the last sort of thing before we get into some short legal editorial uh, was um, MLR academies. You're starting to see like USA rugby did some certification stuff. Uh, and the first two MLR academies that got certified by USA Rugby Have Performance were San Diego Legion Academy and the New England Free Jacks Academy. We haven't really seen um, a lot out of the San Diego Legion Academy. I know that they do a lot of work locally with their youth rugby programs, like a lot of outreach. They do clinics, they coach coach teams, and they also have a senior academy partnership with um, your Costa College, um, which is a junior college in the uh, North County area. But uh, what we did get to see was New England sort of a regional roadmap to to their youth academy. And there's 13 different uh, new teams that will be sort of layered onto the current system which is kind of cool. And, you know, even if you only end up with, you know, one side, even if you only end up with 30 kids per one of those teams and not like multiple levels of, you know, U16, U15, U14, whatever, that's still like, you know, um, you know, 390 kids plus uh, their parents that have a connection to the free Jacks. So as much as it is, um, a developmental pathway and a performance pathway, it is also like excellent marketing. Yeah, I think it's super cool. Good for you, New England. Uh, great, great uh, you know announcement here with the academies, and you know hopefully it translates from announcement into reality in a way that's visible and successful, and other teams can imitate it. And I, I mean, this is really the way to get, I think, a, a large scale change in the American vibe. I mean, we could hope for a miracle win in a world cup or some, some tremendous, you know, instant moment where the American rugby spirit is fully awakened. But I think I, I, if I were betting, I'd rather bet on a grassroots uprising as these teams infiltrate the communities, build academies, those kids grow up, they play rugby, their friends see them. They now have some exposure to rugby. You know, maybe they think about it a little bit, whatever it is. You know, the more it's on people's minds and people see it as a normal option, I think, you know, the better it'll be for everyone. So, so I guess I have to ask. I know these are the only two MLR academies, but what they're about? They're not the only two. They're the only two that have been certified. Okay. Well, I, I guess because Nola Gold um, has an academy. They've done, they've have had a youth team previously. They still have a senior. They basically use Nor FC sort of as an academy team, and then. Atlanta has an academy. New York previously had an academy. They didn't run uh, a U20, U23 program this year, but they did last year and the year before. Uh, And um, now you have the official sort of academy with Houston with Rugby HTX 
Um, so like in Utah, don't forget Utah. In Utah, yes, Utah has a full-on contiguous pathway that sort of exists existed before Brandon Sparks was hired. Um, last this, um, I guess not this last year, a year ago, <laughs> to basically make sure that happened. Like they they hired him specifically, you know, as part of the talent ID process, but like so that he you know, facilitates recruitment and whatnot. But the biggest thing is he had already built an academy that exists called Legacy Rugby Academy in Michigan, um, aside from when he was coaching at University of Michigan. So he is, um, you know, also making sure that the, the Utah Academy kicks ass and takes names. So so I guess I have to ask what the difference between the ex- – like what made New England and San Diego stand out versus the other teams? Uh I would say in part because they decided to go through the process. Yeah, they applied. Is yeah, that what they <laughs> Because um, I know because we're – I mean, we're seeing the uh, the New York sort of um, – not the academy that they had that reaches down into the player base, but they're doing a lot of virtual academy stuff for um, coaches right now. Um, over Zoom, um, Greg McWilliams and Steve, um, Stephen Lewis are leading that program and bringing in, you know, guys like, you know, Gary Gold, uh, Razor uh, down in uh, Scott Robertson from, uh, you know, the Crusaders and doing a lot of virtual sessions and SN, different SNC people, um, you know, just to develop coaches um, in the in the current environment because at some point they will come in and get to look and watch and probably help practice and whatnot. But, um, and then you're seeing that also with, uh, with Atlanta, they're doing, they're implementing a virtual program as well uh, to, to help coaches, um, which they're also sort of leaning on life university to help other um, high schools and colleges get up to speed to, because the reality is, is more high performance college programs exist the more talent will be developed for MLO. Well, if, if we're going to go the coaches route, do we need to talk about San Diego for a minute? I, I mean, yeah. So that's just interesting. So they have two head coaches, right? They're co-head coaches. Rob Hodley no longer works for the organization. And they brought in Eddie Jones as a consultant to help those two out. Like, <laughs> my biggest thing was like I, I I said I think I said it on Twitter or maybe I said it on Reddit. I was like, how much does an hour of Eddie Jones' time cost? That's yeah. that's, that's all I want to know. Is this just like pro bono work? If you're a lawyer, they're just doing charitable donations to the American rugby scene. You know, well, I mean, they, they did say he still helps out with his old Japanese side yeah, too. So he, does, so he works for I think it's Kobe, Kobe, Kabalco Steelers. I don't know, maybe I don't, I don't know. I, I don't recall. I probably should. I wasn't necessarily prepared for that one, but he still works as a consultant in the sort of director of rugby, um, you know, sphere, helping the team, the Japanese top league he coached uh, with recruitment, with coach development. So I mean. When it comes to coaching coaches, he has developed a lot of coaches. Um, if you look at the premiership, I think Borthwick, uh, Gustard, um, Neil Hatley, I think Quiver's coaching Wasps also coached under him. So at least, at least a quarter of 
the premiership coaches right now previously coached for Eddie Jones. I mean, yeah, I love MLR, but I, I, picturing Eddie Jones coming to coach an MLR team is kind of amusing. I mean, you know, this guy is like coaches, and obviously there's a handful of super elite coaches. He's not necessarily, you know, people like Warren Gatlin, whatever. He's not necessarily like the best coach in the world, but I feel like he's certainly one of the best, and he strikes me as maybe the most like intense or um, like – demanding of his players, you know, perhaps. So I'm just picturing him at like a, a San Diego Legion training where he must put what he would what he would put those players through in a training session. I don't think well he's not gonna coach the team. So I, I don't yeah, I know five for an hour and he's like, what the f- is going on here? I mean I, San Diego has always been one of the most physically conditioned teams in the league. So I don't know. Um yeah so that's that's sort of what's going on there. Uh, and then there was some sort of legal thing that we tweeted about. Uh, I guess there was a, there was a tournament. I'm sorry. We tried to, wanted to keep it tight for 45 minutes. So I'm sorry to both Josh and Craig that we're still talking. Um, but, uh, in Rocky mountain rugby is the sanctioning body for men's senior rugby in Colorado. And there was a men's senior tournament in, uh, Palisade, Colorado, um, called the Peach Town Scrum Down, um, that was organized by Four Corners Rugby Academy, which so I would say they're a four, I'm pretty sure they're a for profit youth academy, um, that focuses on the Four Corners region. And, um, well, uh, Rocky Mountain Rugby had not authorized return to play, and uh, they have suspended all players and clubs, um, that decided to go down and participate um, in that thing. But I, by the way, I'm actually reading the thing right now. Even if you if you participated in it, it doesn't matter if you were a, mount, a member of Rocky Mountain Rugby or not. You're still yeah. suspended. I know. Well, I mean, so here's the way, like, we talked about sort of, like, sanctioning and governance, right? So, um, and, like, black, I guess, black market or underground rugby. So... The official governing body for rugby union in Colorado is Rocky Mountain Rugby Union. So if if you're talking about clubs that are were members of Rocky Mountain Rugby Union that decided to play um, rugby, even though that the governing body did not say, hey, return to play is authorized, um, then, you know, you're – and. If the, there's so much liability issues here from a liability perspective, if you're not, if you don't have, if you're not, I guess, sit, we still call it a sit for whatever reason, but if you haven't paid your membership to USA rugby, um, then you don't have liability and secondary health insurance, right? So um, then does the organizer have liability insurance? Don't know. But at the same time, the organizer didn't seek authorization from the governing body. So as far as like legally is Rocky mountain rugby in a good stand to suspend players, coaches, officials, whatever. Yeah, they can do that because they did not authorize return to play. But at the same time, what I found out was, is that in the Denver area, you have youth soccer playing. You have youth football playing. You have adult rec leagues of other sports playing. 
So my biggest, my, my thing, my challenge to, I guess, rugby in general is I understand there's trepidation about the current environment because of coronavirus. However, if all other sports are back to grassroots play or at least practice, right? Why are they back practicing and why are we not? Now for Arizona, well, we don't usually play in the winter or in the fall. Um, There's sort of a kickoff tournament in December and the season is in the spring. So as far as like practice is concerned right now, eh, not really necessary. But for teams that play most of their rugby in the fall, usually like New York Rugby Club, for example, if other sports are playing right now in theory, because actually in Western New York, there's a lot of youth sport going on right now. So that's a question, right? Um, but if, if other sports are playing right now and we're not, then in a general sense, we're likely to lose membership. So my challenge is to people that are running organizations and clubs is like, find out what they're doing to get on the field. Because if the government says they can play, it's time for us to play. That's it. Agreed. Get out there and run while you can. Eventually you get old like me and retire. Underground rugby club. Hey, you know, um, Craig was a member of an underground rugby club. I mean, what are we referring to here? Uh, Booth. Oh, yeah. It wasn't very uh, underground. We had a website and everything. Just you know, like about it's, it's like it, we we had a really weird conversation about that a long time ago, and it's kind of funny because about half of sort of your grad school league um, was sipped with USA Rugby, and the other half isn't. <laughs> you know, and like wow. there's, and I remember looking at the USA Rugby event schedule, even though like half the like programs in that are domestically in the in the United States uh, weren't members of USA rugby, but on the calendar for USA rugby's events was the grad school world cup, which was in Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Great event. If you, if you ever have a chance to go visit the NBA world cup hosted by Duke that they actually play in Danville, Virginia, but you know, the parties are in uh, North Carolina. Um, great time. But yes, I'm. I'm guessing. I. I don't know for a fact. I'm guessing SIP compliance is on the low side at the NBA World Cup relative to other rugby Yeah. So my my biggest thing is club club folks, and I, I think Craig, obviously being um, a member of the board of Empire GU and a member of the New York Rugby Club board, that he is doing what he can to at least allow you to run with your mates. Um, at practice, um, and it's it's all loca- locality dependent, right? If the state go- if the state you're in says, or the county you're in, because count it's even different from county to county, right? So if the if the county you're in says, hey, let's play some sports, then let's play some sports. If the county says you don't get to play sports, then I guess you don't get to play sports, you know? Oh, so. That's it. And you that's play RB20 on PlayStation and hone your mental game. <laughs> yeah, so so that's us. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks when there are other big things, and I'll try to get you some content out on our Lineouts platform. 
And uh, you can catch us on Twitter um, at Earful of Dirt um, and Facebook and Instagram. So leave us a review when you can. Um, you can even tell me I'm an idiot um, if you want, and I'll I'll have Craig read that out. And <laughs> oh, that'd be so fun. Guys, do that. Hey, if that, happen, if that happens, we got to screenshot it and put it on the socials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, that's that's a challenge, I guess. But um, uh, thank you, everyone, who popped in for uh, a listen to hear our mouths open. And uh, thank you also to everyone who will listen to us on podcasts. Peace out. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby podcast. Connect with your hosts throughout the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Earful of Dirt. Or email your thoughts and questions to earfulofdirt at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week. Until then, get out there and enjoy some rugby.